Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this installment of our Brandon Sanderson series. We hope you'll join us by clicking on the Reading Challenge link at our website, thelegendariumpodcast.com, or to keep it simple, just send us your thoughts on the books on our website, on Facebook, or on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and welcome to The Legendarium. Hey, this is Brandon Sanderson, author of Mistborn. Welcome to The Legendarium! Uh, I am here to do a podcast about Firefight and my voice and chew bubble gum and I'm all out of bubble gum and I'm all out of bubble gum <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak loud and have ideas and I'm gonna be funny <laughs> I'm holding a cat Welcome back to the Legendarium Podcast. It's episode 91. Today we're talking about Firefight, book two of Brandon Sanderson's Reckoners trilogy. Uh, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. Uh, it's a pretty small cast of characters today. I am duller than a Dutch oven, but I do make a mean peach cobbler. I'm Craig Hanks, and sitting on my right, he's uglier than Brad Pitt, but better looking than Steve Buscemi. It's Nick Jeter. Hey, Nick. Yeah, um, I, I don't know what to say to that, but... I think you're right. I, so, I know I'm right. So we'll go with that. And it's a he, pretty broad spectrum there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I fit in there somewhere. Uh, and yeah, he, everyone on this planet almost. He, the man you hear talking right now, he is as nerdy as J.J. Abrams' back sweat, and he's just as tasty. It's Jeff Inch. <laughs> I wonder how Craig knows this information. I, you know what? About me and J.J. Abrams. There are certain stories that we just don't tell on the air. <laughs> I think uh, if you touch J.J. Abrams' sweat, you would have to tell that story. <laughs> oh, that's probably true. Show us the jar where you've uh, gathered it. So anyway, that's gross. A uh, little bit of housekeeping before we go on. A uh, quick reminder, uh, this is part of our Brandon Sanderson reading challenge, which we are hosting at worldswithoutend.com, and we are thankful to them for their support and helping us host it there. Head to worldswithoutend.com, check out the reading challenge there, or you can head straight to our site, thelegendariumpodcast.com, and click on the giant banner link right up front. It's the first thing you see, uh, and it'll take you right over there. You can sign up for the challenge. You can read just a few books. I think the lowest level of the reading challenge is four books. Uh, or you can go with us and read 12, I think, or 13. 13 is the number that we're going for this year. Yeah, there's 13. And this makes, uh, let's see, this year we've read the three uh, second-era Mistborn books. Uh, and now, th so this makes number five with Steelheart and now Firefight. This makes five books. Now, and there have right. been a couple extras in there. We did Mistborn Secret History. We did uh, uh, Mitosis. Mitosis. Are, are we not going to redo uh, the original Mistborn we, as a part of the challenge? That's a good question. Um, not sure yet. It kind of depends on who we have coming on the podcast as guests, I think. Uh, because if we have me and Ryan and Todd and Ken doing the original Mistborn trilogy again, that would be pretty boring. We've already done it. Uh, right. You can already go back and listen to those. And I thought they were pretty good. I, I enjoyed those episodes a lot. Uh, but who knows? Uh, and, and they were essentially just reviews of the novels right. the first time. And so we could approach it from we, yeah, various thematic. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, why don't you guys let us know? If you want us to do those again in maybe a slightly different format, let us know. You can email us. Uh, you can email me, Craig, at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Uh, or just hit us up on Facebook. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. You can get a hold of us there as well. Uh, and I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything else. Oh, Imsy. 
uh, make sure you go to imz.com slash legendarium. Uh, that's where we're having some of our group discussions. I always post the episodes there so that you can comment uh, and berate us for the horrible uh, off-base things that we say uh, about Brandon Sanderson books. Because I'll tell you what, and Nick, you know this better than most, there are some people out there with truly encyclopedic knowledge of these books. It's insane. And can correct correct even people like us. I mean, we're pretty close readers, and we think about uh, these books a little more maybe than, you know, a little above average. But there are some that just put us to shame as far as the, yeah, that ability to know everything about. And Brandon Sanderson doesn't help because he's constantly (laughs) answering questions at uh, book openings, book signings, where he gives you information or gives 10 people information that aren't, that isn't written down anywhere except his Wikipedia page. Right. And then they know something and it gets cross-referenced to some list in a forum somewhere. And the knowledge is endless. There's a lot of things that people know, and it's actually fascinating. Yeah, it's so crazy. Up. I avoided, I avoided like going on the Mistborn subreddit on Reddit forever because I was afraid of spoilers. And then I went on and I started reading, and I was like, I feel like I'm missing something. Like there's a book that I haven't read because everyone's talking about these things that apparently among them are like common knowledge. But it's like I, this is the first I've ever heard of this. Like where is this stuff coming from? So it's crazy. Yeah, it's and it's really different. I I think that there's a lot of value in reading a book that way. Um, Tolkien, I do that way uh, to a certain extent. I know a lot about the minutia in The Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion, The Hobbit. Uh, but with Brandon Sanderson books, I haven't dived that deep. Uh, and But while I do find that it can be valuable, I think that the way that I'm reading these is just fine, or the way I should say that we are reading them, where it's not... Uh, like I have avoided going on the 17th shard and some of these other deep dive websites, partly because I want to stay fresh for the podcast and I don't want too much outside influence on what I have to say. Uh, and, and well, no, actually I shouldn't say partly because that's all, it's all because I want to enjoy the novels for themselves, if that makes sense. And not, not so much for the experience of, uh, uh, taking in huge, vast amounts of uh, secondary information, but like I say, I don't, I don't want to paint a picture that makes it look like I don't think that's valuable in some way. Well, and well, and that's the thing too with the uh, Nick might be trying to say the same thing, but about the Cosmere, you know, it's there are these individual series that you can enjoy them on their own, and lots of the stuff that I see has to go into the Cosmere and how it's connecting to other books and things like that, which is the cool thing. You can do both, like some Tolkien, like. The Silmarillion, unless you really read and kind of compare and figure out the stuff, it's kind of harder to enjoy. Whereas Mistborn, I can enjoy just fine just reading it without going into the, you know, Cosmere implications. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. And Brandon Sanderson does a really good job of writing his books to be accessible to the uninitiated. So you you can read Mistborn on a very shallow level without having to, or, or any of his books. Um, the only thing that you get from digging deeper and asking all those questions or going on the forums is potentially a deeper appreciation on a second reading where you start to recognize, Oh, this, this thing that is really just glossed over and barely even hardly any attention's even drawn to it. Um, this thing is actually very profound, very important, and it's going to play a role later on. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, before we go any further, I should say, spoiler alert, we will spoil Firefight and Steelheart, but not Calamity, because I haven't read it yet. I, I and not any, either. Not yeah. any other Brandon Sanderson books. And so I, I say that because I don't want to spoil anything, 
but certain character motivations, especially from Mistborn, because that's the one I'm most familiar with, uh, become a lot clearer when you have that secondary information. So yeah, right. it's it can be good. It can be good. It's just not necessarily. Well, I'm I'm not able to put in the <laughs> the necessary well, time right now. Yeah, and and a comparison is you can watch the Star Wars movies without reading any of the canonized Star Wars books. Mm. Um, you don't necessarily need to read or to see Star Wars Rebels or the Clone Wars right. to get Episode Seven. Um, I'd say it's helpful. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Jeff, are you watching Rebels right now? I'm not. I have not watched any of it. I don't know why. I've just been putting it off. You, but you, I need to. I want. I've wanted to. You just seem like a cartoon kind of guy. Uh, like you would enjoy it. So I highly recommend it. I want to watch Rebels. I've I've never had access to it. It's but. way better than Clone Wars, if you ask me. But. Uh, that shouldn't be too hard. I saw an episode and I was like, this is weird. Eh, yeah, it, it had some stronger and some weaker. Anyway, boy, are we off the reservation. Yeah. Should we talk about Firefight? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. All right. So uh, I'll do a quick summary for you guys. Brandon Sanderson has three laws of magic for anyone who wants to write fantasy fiction. I think I'll develop my own laws for people who want to read Brandon Sanderson. And the first one will be things are not as they seem. It doesn't matter where you are in the story. It doesn't matter what's hidden, what's been revealed. Whatever you think you know of the story, you're almost certainly wrong. Firefight has several such moments. At the end of Steelheart, it was easy to think we knew what was going on with this world and with the people around our protagonist. Uh, David, actually, by the way, speaking of our protagonist, is something of an exception to my rule, largely because of his place as the first-person narrator. But anyway, various... uh, Various reveals as we move through Firefight make us feel like we have a better understanding of what's going on. But at the end of the book, Brandon pulls out from under us the new rug he's woven. Yes, Prof and Megan are epics. Yes, they can resist the negative effects of their powers. But no, they can't resist indefinitely. Prof succumbs with the culmination of a truly diabolical plot by our main antagonist. Megan seems seems susceptible too until she and David seem to crack the code. Or did they? The resistance, or the secret to resistance, which looks like it may be the power of love, then turns out to be facing your fears. But even that's probably not quite right. All this would be frustrating if each eventual reveal weren't so damn satisfying. The Reckoners series is proving to be an immensely satisfying ride, and I think a large part of that comes from unpredictable reveals that don't seem overly contrived because we're following along with a hero who is just as clueless and enthusiastic as we are. So, thoughts? Do you guys agree? Are the twists satisfying or uh, not so much for you guys? Uh, I'll go ahead. I, I I appreciate the twist. I mean, if you're reading a Brandon Sanderson book, you almost have to. You, you expect... That's what like, I'm saying. I'm, I'm going to make it a law of yeah, reading Brandon Sanderson books. You expect there to be profound things that you just didn't expect, and that, that that's reading Brandon Sanderson. I feel like um, Sanderson did a good job... Um, I think in a longer book, and, and as he does in his longer books, um, for example, in his Stormlight Archive, which I'm not spoiling. But <laughs> That's correct. No spoiling. Craig, Craig was ready to interrupt me. Um, but they're longer, and so he can build the foundation better or more. I wouldn't say better, but more um, more completely. And then when he pulls the rug out, it's a little more stunning. Okay, um, you, yeah. You perhaps expect it less. There's a little more artful. These books are so short, and I don't think I like how short they are. Oh, really? 
And I think most people appreciate the brevity because he's not writing any worse. He's writing very well. Um, but I, I don't feel like, I mean, the reveals kind of, since you expected at this point, I felt like they needed a little bit more build up. I did appreciate, I think my favorite part was who Regalia ended up being. Oh, okay. Wait. Oh, like at the very end yeah, at the when, very, he, very when end. he meets her. Yeah. I, okay. th- I thought that was cool. Yeah. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's my, my experience with every Brandon Sanderson book I've read. What I thought I knew was not really what I knew, which is a lot of the fun. And I think it does point out something that um, is Brent, is his real strength. And I think it goes down to kind of his style of writing. Uh, if you're familiar with it at all, he is known to have these pretty extensive outlines. And as he's going through, too, when he's doing the outlining thing, he thinks of kind of multiple versions of things that could happen. So he goes a few layers deep. So he takes the obvious thing that everyone might think and bypasses it and goes down until it's unexpected, which you can totally tell as you read that, knowing um, that that's how he works. That So everything still makes sense, but he does it in a way that is you know far from the obvious, which makes it a lot of fun to read for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and speaking of lots of different possible outcomes, uh, a question just popped into my mind. This wasn't even on my list before we started, but, uh, so Megan's power turns out not to be illusion, but rather, uh, what access to the multiverse, right? Yeah, and ac- she can access to alternative, un- alternative realities. Yeah. It's crazy. So she pulls things in from alternative realities uh, or something like that. Well, uh, and I'm wondering how this is going to be, because one of Sanderson's rules, I can't remember which one it is, but uh, it's that the limitations of power are more interesting than the powers themselves, right? Right. But Superman's not interesting. Because kryptonite had, is yeah, interesting. Kryptonite's interesting, right. Yeah. So it, I, I feel like we just don't have any idea what's going on with Megan's powers, and I'm hoping that he sticks to his guns with that particular rule, because... It seems at the end of the book, when Megan comes and saves David, it's like, oh, well, that was awfully convenient, uh, in a way. Well, and what I didn't understand about Megan saving David is, I might need to reread it, but it was unclear to me how. She just shows up, Well, and it, Prof says, never mind. Well, no, so she shows up, and the reason I say it, it feels a little bit easy is because it's like, she can do anything anything it seems like there would be no limitations to this person's power because so she shows up he's about to be crushed in the force field bubble by prof right and uh and she transports him outside of that bubble by virtue of her power she creates a different reality right where he's standing outside of it and then uh as i understand it he runs away because like all high epics in their anger uh, right he, as soon as he's faced with a situation he doesn't understand and can't control, he wigs out. Yeah, fundamentally and, insecure. Yeah, exactly. Leave. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. Eh. I, so, I, I'm very interested in what's going to happen with Megan in Calamity, which I haven't read yet. I have held off reading it just for you guys <laughs> so that I... I haven't read it either. Okay, I good. My, yeah, I have it on my shelf. Yeah, I um, I like to finish these books as close to possible, as close to when we're recording as possible. Yeah, so. and when you're reading a lot, you forget. 
I finished Firefight about a week ago, and I had to—I didn't remember the name of the main character, <laughs> <laughs> David. Yeah. <laughs> well, he—it is first person, so it's right. maybe not. I don't know. That's pretty. That sucks. Yeah. I had yeah. To re- you I had you to weren't paying you. attention. Yeah. You're a terrible reader. Uh, Jeff, do you have any points you want to bring up? Um, I think it kind of goes along with that same, with what you're talking about. One thing that's interesting about this book is be, we've talked about it on the previous podcast um, about Steelheart and the others, the first person narrator. It is interesting because it adds a level of complexity. Like when David thinks he knows something, so it's not just us thinking we know what's going on, but it's him as well. Yeah. For example, when he's talking about, um, you know, they he thought he got obliteration's weakness wrong he thought that there was a delay in his teleportation abilities but turns out that that's wrong they thought that Knox didn't have powers so it's sometimes hard and that was one thing that i need i didn't understand until i looked back and thought about it where that stuff was coming from like he thought he was wrong but he was wrong about being wrong it was actually something else entirely you know it wasn't that he didn't know those things it's that they actually were getting more power, presumably, and this is what I thought, and maybe you guys could, could throw in if I'm mistaken, but uh, like Regalia with her relationship with Calamity was bringing them up and, and boosting their powers through him. Right. Which right. I, didn't, I didn't realize until I thought back on it, but that's what was happening. Right. It's not that David misunderstood. They were, they were just, he, he had most of the pieces of the puzzle and just needed a little bit more to understand what was going on. Is that what you're saying? Right. Kind of like... It wasn't that, so he thought that obliteration had that delay, and he was, it's unclear, looking back on it, whether he was right or not, it seems like he probably was correct that, yes, obliteration did have that weakness, but then, rather than he was wrong, it was actually, things had changed since then. Oh, yeah. Something okay, I get that, it. So that is, wasn't possible before. If for you guys, is this a strength or a weakness of these books? Uh, because it's a first-person narrator and because we follow along so closely with David's understanding of the world, uh, we still, at the end of book two, uh, after two and a half books, I guess, we still don't have a grasp of what the rules are, what can and can't change, what's really going on. Uh, you know, by the end of... Uh, by the end of Mistborn, yeah, he's got surprises to throw your way, but I feel like you've got a pretty good understanding of just what's, you know, just what's going on in this world, what the stakes are. I think it is a strength because a major theme of all of Brandon Sanderson's books, it's this aspect of discovery. And so in his more, like in Mistborn and his other books, they're kind of discovering knowledge that was lost. Um, Steelheart's on Earth in America and most of Brandon's readership is on earth in America. And so that, so he preserves that element of, we don't, we still have something to discover because we're as limited as David. So, I mean, I know what New York city looks like, but I'm discovering it with David as it looks in firefight or the new rules in the paradigms of what's going on, um, in, in the, in, in these, in this new, in this new world that used to be the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it preserves that need to learn about the world. Okay. Uh, Nick, how about some of your points? What do you got for me? Um, I think the book introduced some very interesting discussions about the nature of power um, and 
kind of couple that with autonomy. So do you mean like insights that help us understand our own world or something else? Like I'm, uh, I'm I'm thinking of the nature of power and that's, well, well, when I say nature of power, I'm definitely talking about insights into understanding our world. Okay. And then, and so I I guess we'll stay on that for a second. Um, in, in most of Brandon's books, you want to get more powerful than in Mistborn continues to get more powerful and it culminates in her and this is a good thing um, uh spoiler alert we talked about Mistborn. No, no no we're not spoiling any other series i'll bleep, oh, no I'll bleep that out okay you can bleep. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> bleep out me giggling about it too all right um so in in most of brandon sanderson's books you want to have more power you're gaining more power yeah um in steelheart you really want to avoid taking power because the power doesn't just, and so we talk about absolute power corrupting. And so then the, the discussion becomes like, well, did Napoleon start out bad or did he just become bad, become bad? Did Stalin start out with good intentions and then just get overcome with all of the abilities? He, I mean, the, the power he had through the Soviet union. Um, it's a major historical question is, well, how much does do your circumstances or do your, do your accomplishments change who you are? Um, well, in Steelheart and Firefight, it directly and explicitly changes who you are. So I just thought, I just think that's an interesting, interesting parallel to our, to reality. Right. But there does seem to be an antidote to that corruption, right? Personal choice to an extent. Well, to an extent, right. But it, it seems like there's, it's a sort of kryptonite. At this point, right. we think it's facing your fears, right? When Megan runs into the burning building, right. she's facing her greatest fear, and that, you know, negates the, uh, the uh, I don't even know what to say, the negative effects of her power, right? right. So she can use it safely. Right. Uh, but I, I don't see that there's much of an antidote in the real world, at least nothing so clean as that. Well, I mean, I would say checks and balances in government. <laughs> um, right. I mean, there there is no, there really isn't an antidote. I mean, and this is a good discussion that Sanderson brings up. Do you I mean Marvel presents superheroes as being people that stay good, even though that they are, even though they're essentially gods as compared to normal people? But the reality is, if I don't have to, I don't care what ants think about me. I right. Don't, you I don't brought out. You brought up this point. Yeah, I don't care one. what bugs think about me. Right. Um, and if somebody became an epic. They don't have to care what I think about them. And and so to an extent, if I suddenly became the most powerful person on the planet politically and could do whatever I wanted, I have no incentive structure that except for the goodness of my own heart that might be funneled through a different set of choices and options. Right. Um, so I wonder if um, with, with Megan, especially um, she, I've got this point somewhere, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, okay. So I, I wonder about the whole thing about it being facing your fears. I'm not sure that that's true, partly because it, in Megan's case, if that's the case, why does David's presence seem to calm her down uh, all throughout the first two books, right? Um, he's able to, in some way, negate those powers. Anyway, and so I wonder if that relates to our real world in this way. We often look at uh, at politicians, especially because those are the ones who we think of as wielding all power. the power. Yeah. 
um, we look at them and we say, okay, how good a person are they? What sort of choices have they made? How have they voted? What have they said about this or that subject? I wonder if a more relevant, uh, immediately useful question would be, who are the people that they have surrounded themselves with? On a regular basis, who are they married to? Yeah, what kind who of who are their best friends? Yeah, we, what kind of people have they allowed to influence them? Yeah, so yeah, I wonder if, and this would go not just for politicians, but for us as well. I mean, uh, you know, if you work in an office and suddenly you're thrust into a managerial role, uh, you you have power that you didn't have before, right? And uh, small though it may be, and what. Um, yeah, so the, the people that we surround ourselves with, are they going to have more of an influence on ourselves than we even do as far as doing the right thing? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. So, I don't know. Or, I mean, people always worry about politicians being beholden to, I mean, you name it, the big banks, other politicians, donors. I mean, people that have helped them get to where they're getting. Now now I owe you something now that I'm in power. Um is this where we say something about the big bank theory? The big uh, bank theory? Come on, that was awesome. It was good. I okay. wish I had a little uh, symbol to crash. <laughs> um, what is the big bank theory? Oh, I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm, it's not oh, even That was thing. just a pun. Okay. <laughs> no, when you said it, uh, you, you said the big banks and I was, well, well, I was waiting so, for something else. You said it so confidently. I thought it was like a real thing. It is now. Somebody okay. make it up and write it down and send it to us so we can know what the big bank theory is. Uh, all right. It, what you had a second half to that point. Oh, well, just the nature. So if you're an autonomous, people are autonomous. I make choices and I, based on costs and benefits and I'm responsible for the option. For yes the and no. Yes and no. It depends on how many philosophy classes you went to in college. Right. Okay. So we're assuming that I'm autonomous. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the law treats us as autonomous. Yes. Um, generally economics <laughs> treats us as autonom- autonomous. Um, so I have to face the consequences of my choices and I'm treated as culpable if I choose to do wrong things. Is Prof guilty for the bad things he does? At the very end of the book, you At mean? the very end of the book. Okay. Is Steelheart guilty? Is, for what? For what he does? For what he did. Or or is the power taking away their autonomy? And it seems to have done so. I mean, it does enhance. I mean, Steelheart was a bully before he became an epic. And it kind of enhanced his jerkness. So, so it kind of adds to what you've already chosen to be. But on, honestly, uh, we don't hold – if someone's insane. legally insane, mm-hmm. they are not guilty of murder, for example. I don't know. Okay, Jeff, I want you to field this one. Guilty or not guilty? Well, I, I, are, I lean towards not guilty. I think that's one of the big uh, kind of explorations of this book because in, in Steelheart, it was basically a revenge story. You know, Steelheart killed David's father. So Steelheart, so David goes back and his whole his whole mission is to kill Steelheart, and David agrees with what Prof says that all epics are evil; they need to be killed. Um, but this one, I think, I I actually just happen to have pulled a quote right towards the beginning of the book on page twenty four, um, at least in my edition, where they're fighting Sourcefield, and he's David's thinking back to when he had killed her, and he said. She looked so terrified at the end. She could have been Megan or Prof or Edmund, just a normal person caught up in all of this, driven to do terrible things by power she didn't ask for. And again, you know, that's just David's opinion, but that's kind of what I think too is. And David realizes throughout this book, you know, these people didn't ask to be this way. It was something that just happened to them, just like people don't ask to be insane. 
And I think Prof is a great example of that. We know that he never would have killed his team. He would do so much to try to protect his team. But as soon as he be- his powers take over his his you know mind, boom! Immediately just kills two of some of his closest friends in the whole world without thinking about it, which is something that Prof I don't think ever would have done, no matter how goaded he was without the corruption of the epic powers. So maybe we could analogize it to history in a way. Um, so I'm, I brought up people like Hitler and Stalin and we're still capturing and putting on trial. I mean, there's a, there's a 94 year old world war two veteran on trial for his role in Auschwitz. It's crazy. Yeah. He's being charged for complicity in the death of 170,000 people, but we tend to treat Hitler as ultimately culpable. He, he's the one who made all the choices. Well, to an extent. So people made individual choices participating in this, in the Holocaust. Um, I mean, Hitler can't do the bad things he did unless people are choosing to do what he tells them to do. Okay. I mean, you can't move a whole country unless everybody in the country is like, okay. I mean, of course, that involves a lot of compulsion. Um, So if we treat calamity, calamity is compelling people to do bad things. Or um, is uh, do we know that? Well, okay, I'm assuming calamity right. is compelling. I, I I haven't read calamity. Um, I'm assuming that he is overpowering people's um, wills. I mean, I mean, it's Brandon Sanderson. Who knows what's behind calamity? <laughs> that's um, that's my thought. It, it could be Pikachu with a joystick controlling <laughs> calamity. <laughs> I hope it's not. I'll be very disappointed. That would be um, hilarious, though. <laughs> and, and so. Another thing to bring in the way we would prosecute somebody criminally, um, if you're compelled to do something, you're not going to be guilty for doing it. And of course, you have to prove that you were compelled, that there was in some way you were, that your will was overcome through threats or something like that. Right. Um, if we could put calamity on trial, you could probably make a case that he is the only one guilty for anything happening on earth. Huh, okay. Assuming he's the one compelling these people. I guess we'll find out in book three. Huh? Yeah, assuming they're being compelled too. Right. Like who knows the role of their own choice in their power. So, um, all right, let me shift gears a little bit uh, and ask you guys this. Uh, book one versus book two. What, and this is a completely subjective question, no right or wrong answer here. Which bad guy did you prefer, Steelheart or Regalia? Regalia. Yeah, Jeff, what about you? I agree. I liked Regalia. She seemed there was a lot more. Um, I think she had more interesting powers that we saw, um, and yeah, she was just you couldn't really figure out her motivation so much. Steelheart seemed pretty. He wanted to rule. He wanted people to be afraid. He wanted power. Where Regalia, you're like, she's presumably helping these people by, you know, allowing Dawn's, Dawn's light to give them food and do all these things. It seems like, you know, they even have this discussion, does she want us to kill her? Is she feeling these effects of, you don't know if she's good or bad. With Steelheart, you're like, he's bad. And the same thing, that was the whole point of Steelheart. That's how David thought. Since we're seeing it through his viewpoint, it makes sense that we would agree. But with this one, it was a lot more, there was a lot more questioning, which was interesting um, going along, trying to figure out what it was and what was really going on and what her plan was. So, yeah, hands down, Regalia. Yeah, I agree. I liked her a lot. Um, and sh- her plan was so fiendish. Yeah, she's and a, she's a butt. <clears throat> she's she's evil and incredibly smart. And it makes me think: if I ever uh, turned to a life of crime, if I ever want to become sorry, like a bank robber or you know 
I don't know, kidnap rich people for ransoms or something like that. If I turn to a life of crime for money, then I the first thing the first person I'm going to recruit onto my team is going to be a best selling author. <laughs> because it seems like this will be uh, exhibit A when you and Brandon Sanderson are on uh, trial. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like this is it's freaking genius. The yeah. way that the way that he sets up her plan to lure prof uh and you know, just all the little dominoes and obviously he can set up all the dominoes, including, you know, the ones that he wants to fall and the ones he doesn't want to fall and all that stuff. So I'm right. mostly mostly kidding. But it is it just seems so um, jarring at the end of the book. Uh, this is the second time I've read it, but the first time I read it, I was just blown away because you think, uh, you no, know, she's, she's evil. She wants to kill people. She wants to kill prof. She wants to kill the people in, uh, in Babylon or whatever. Um, and no, it's all about finding that successor. And it was just such a, uh, such a wonderful little tweak at the end of the book to make you completely change all your assumptions about the, 200 or so pages that you just read everything is upended it's also she's i mean we've only had two books but she is the first epic other than prof to respond to and and prof doesn't really do it but she responds to her own weakness which is her imminent death in an intelligent rational way instead of just running away and hiding who runs away and hides uh well i mean you mentioned how i mean like prof runs away oh sure he like um, Steelheart is very insecure. He responds to any evidence of his own weakness by killing hundreds of people. Um, she's a little smarter and a little bit more nuanced. Did and we ever discover what Regalia's weakness was? I don't remember it. Dying of old age. Uh, uh, apparently a sword through the heart or something. Right. Um, um, I don't know. Um, but dying is definitely a weakness. Well, so sure. I, don't, I don't know how to negate her. <laughs> oh, speaking of, I think we would be remiss to end this episode without talking about the setting and the new technology. Oh, sure. Sure. That he, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Firefight is a beautiful setting. It is cool. I mean, we fill New York with water. We're flying around. I mean, we're swimming around in it and not just water, but like hills and valleys, hills and valleys of water. Right. And so cool. And then you bring in the color from Dawn slight, like all of the, like the glowing graffiti, um, and and then just the people are very interesting. The, it's hilarious, by the way, to listen to you pronounce the names because I listened to it on audiobook and you obviously did not. Oh, really? How would they say Dawn's Light? Dawn's Light. Dawn's Light. Dawn's Light. As in the light of dawn. Oh, I'm Dawn's Light. Yeah. <laughs> like it's some guys. It's some guys' names. Like hi, I'm Dawn. Slight. Uh, I'm Don. Uh, no, anyway. Space slight. <laughs> Shaking, not stirred. You said one of the one of the other ones a little. Oh, regalia. I think regalia. He, yeah. The regalia. Regalia. I mean, that's oh. the audiobook version. I'm sure yeah. it's it's not that big a deal. Uh, no, but I'm with you. And the other thing was um, the the jungles in the buildings. Oh yeah. It's so so great. And then the the spiral. Am I saying that right? Spiral. Yeah. Yeah. The spiral. That's pretty cool. Um. Yeah. This was one. This was an area that I would have much rather spent time in than new cargo oh yeah new cargo is boring like i mean it's a tunnel basically right we're underground the whole time it's yeah. basically like being in west virginia jeff <laughs> <laughs> i've never been to west virginia no, the only thing i know about west virginia is october sky that's that's enough yeah um yeah what Which were you gonna say jeff pretty accurate oh well i it's interesting because you know both rick Regalia and Steelheart had this power that transformed their cities, 
And Steel Hearts basically froze it. It was like, it is Chicago, but now it's made of steel. But this was interesting because I think it took it even a step further into fantasy. It's like, yeah, it's set in our world, but it's a world unlike anything that we would know. So you take everything, instead of existing on street level, everything exists up on the rooftops. So, and, I, and it would be interesting to see if there were people that were able to like go through, and if you did pay enough attention to the detail to actually have sections of New York City that he imagined these things taking place in, where the rooftops would connect in certain ways, or if it was just all a way to take a step into abstraction while being in our world, but also having the freedom to just do what he wants, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have anything else to say on the setting. Do you guys? Uh, I wonder how much all of that water affects the integrity of the buildings after well, it recedes from New York. Well, you maybe you weren't paying talk close attention. Yeah, they talk about that. Man, so that's why I'm asking the question. So, yeah, because the, I remember reading it, but I, I guess I don't remember the answer. Yeah, the water recedes, and then it turns out it, it, Dawn's Light is the one making all the plants grow, right? Right. Um, Dawn's oh, Light right. has has created a root system that right. has reinforced all the steel the and concrete underneath. Right. So Okay, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty pretty nice little uh, resolution to that one. I'm going to lose all my credibility as having read any of these books. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. There was, a, there was one point. Uh, who was, I think it was Ryan at one point just mangled a bunch of <laughs> the details on some book. Well, I'm stoked for Stormlight Archive. <laughs> I've read those three times. <laughs> uh, so Okay. Um... Other points. Uh, we can start wrapping it up. What, you want to make a final point, Jeff? Well, I had just something kind of a little more to go on with the tangentially related to the structural integrity of the buildings. Okay. It was a really interesting duality to see the um, the reveal of Dawn's Light and Regalia. Their bodies are housed in the same place. They're both these people that are bedridden for one reason or another. Um but it's, you know, one is obviously a very strong force for evil, and the other one is basically the sole force for good in that city. Um, and there were lots of cool things. I, I did also, this is just kind of, again, random, but since we're talking about Don's Light, the, how he communicated via it's Don's fortune Slight. cookies. <laughs> yeah, it's Don's Light, Jeff, didn't you know? <laughs> Don S. Light. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I I did like that. I it, I was a little afraid the first time we came across it because doesn't he like crunch on one of the fortune cookies? And I had a little Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom moment. Like, oh, what's he gonna like, find? Uh. <laughs> well, I hope it's answered why for why is he using fortune cookies as opposed to text messages? Or I mean, since he can manifest these messages however he wants, or maybe not however he wants, right? But why grow them out of fortune cookies? Yeah, I just kind of thought that it was limited kind of to food. Like, you've got these fruit and things that are growing on the trees. It's the only food that could... Maybe it could have been like a watermelon where you, like, cut it in half and the seeds reveal a message, but that would be a lot (laughs) harder to access kind of immediately. (laughs) You have to dig around uh, in it. um, it, But with those same lines... Oh, sorry. But with those same lines, it was... um, Now I forgot what I was going to say. Uh-huh. I'll go. Um... Dawn's Light brings up an interesting question for me, which is, uh, well, the same question of what really negates the the uh, negative right. effects of the powers, because Dawn's Light is constantly, forever, using his uh, his powers, uh, and yet retains for good. Yeah, retains a positive character um, 
as opposed to Regalia, who's laying right next to him doing the same thing. Uh, They're going to dissect their bodies. Oh, maybe. They dissect all the other bodies. Um, I don't but, like, you think of, uh, so Edmund is using his power constantly, and, and the idea is he's gifting his powers constantly, kind of like Prof is, and so that's why he's able to stave off the negative effects. But as far as I can tell, there is no such uh, excuse for Dawn's Light. Right, uh, and the reason I bring up dissection is maybe they'll look at his body, is like, is there something different about him biologically? Biologically. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Uh, did you remember what you were going to say, Jeff? No. I okay. All right. Uh, let's uh, do final points then. Uh, Nick, go ahead. Um, are you, or are you fresh out? I'm I'm fresh out. I'm looking at your cat. Okay. Hey, cat. Uh, Jeff, do you have any more? I do. Yeah. One. I mean, since it's a final thought, I want to make it quick. The setting also led to some really cool things, like their underwater base and the submarine. The underwater base was cool. Like when they're describing that, that's a, a place that I would want to hang out and hide from an epic rather than, you know, like digging a hole in some steel wall somewhere. And, and I didn't quite understand how the base worked. So it was a bunker, but it had plexiglass all over the place. And it was underwater, but probably just because of Regalia's water. And like, where did this person right. build their bunker? Was this like on the fourth floor of some high rise? And they're just like, oh, I'm just going to put a nuclear well, bunker here. Yeah, aren't they on like Long Island? Uh, maybe. And are, so, I mean, are they in the pr- suburbs or something? They, I mean, they don't talk a lot about depth, but presumably they're pretty deep. I mean, yeah. just ground level, underground. Yeah, I, mean, I question that too. I thought it was ground level, like right there at sea level. But then it made me question. It's like, okay, but then now why is it actually completely, you know, sealed? How could it be sealed if that's kind of how it was designed? It seems unlikely. But still, it's a cool, fun. Right, how do they do an airlock with the sub? Okay. Yeah, and was it designed yeah. to resist a nuclear attack or a flood? And if it wasn't designed to resist a flood, why is it performing so well? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah, these are the little details. We just don't sweat, right? right. Uh, Jeff, I feel like maybe, so cool. maybe, maybe I cut you off. Did you have more to go on? No, that was it. Just how cool those were. Okay. Uh, uh, last question before I get to my... Maybe my last point. Did you guys miss Cody and Abraham? And did you like the replacement characters, Val and XL? I missed Cody and Abraham. Yeah, I missed Abraham a lot. I I didn't much care for Cody. I I didn't understand Cody. He used the word y'all, which I use a lot being from Texas, but he used it differently. He used it to address a single person. And I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that noticed that. It was weird. I was like, has Brandon Sanderson ever been to the South? I noticed that. Or seen a John Wayne I'm not from the South either, but I was having someone explain to me something like that, that there, there is someone like basically sat me down and was explaining y'all because I'm not from here. And there were, <laughs> someone mentioned that, that there, that you can use y'all as like a singular, which doesn't make sense. It's like, why would you not? It's a contraction of you all. Why would you just say you? But well, not, I, not where I'm from. We use, we do all sorts of crazy crap in American English. Oh Yeah. I'm sure it's someone's doing it somewhere, and this is in the future. And anybody west of the Rocky Mountains says you guys to even a single person. <laughs> <laughs> I swear that can be a singular sometimes. We yeah, use you guys all true. the time. Yeah, so, you know, stuff true. like that. Who knows? But I, um, I liked Cody and Abraham. They were, they were fun. Uh, yeah. I, I guess we get to back keep... To, back to the original question. Oh, yeah. I did miss, I did miss Abraham as well. But I, I liked Val was okay xl was okay i really liked mizzy the who, best who we get she to seemed keep. to have the most yeah, mizzy, character mizzy's fun yeah um it was fun and you 
she was ambitious, she had drive, but she was also similar to David, you know, kind of uh, a little a little ditzy, a little naive maybe, but it was it was fun. It made for a fun interaction, especially since they're kind of pitted against each other, especially when it comes to Megan and that issue. Right. Uh, so, Jeff, have you read Calamity yet? I have. I was trying to avoid uh, confessing that, but I did read Calamity. Okay. I was so excited. As soon as I finished Steelheart, I read, I started reading Fire Firefight, then I realized, oh, I have to read Mitosis, went, downloaded, read that, read Firefight, straight through to Calamity, like, in basically one or two days. Nice. Uh, well, yeah, I, I didn't mean to pry too hard, except that I do want some predictions. And so I guess me and uh, Nick will do predictions on Calamity. Um, so obviously the first book is all about Steelheart. That's why it's called Steelheart. The second book is uh, more or less about Firefight. So the third book must be about Calamity. And uh, I'm wondering what your predictions are, Nick, on Calamity's uh, nature, his motivations... Any predictions on that so that we can laugh at ourselves next week? Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. I think Calamity is from Earth. Okay. Ooh, interesting. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's an extraterrestrial because there's one way to look at it. We could look at him as being a shard a la Mistborn. Oh, uh, we're, not, okay. we're not spoiling anything. Yeah, okay. He could be like a god, basically. Is, is he like a government experiment gone awry? Oh, I don't know. Um, my guess is actually my prediction is that this power came upon him and while he, while he was digging in Antarctica, and he came upon like, a shrine hey, to the great old ones. Oh, opened up King Tut's tomb or <laughs> something. Ate, ate a bad fish. Uh, okay, um, and, and that he this happened to him as much as it happened to the others. Oh, interesting. Okay, that I I all, all of the care all of the epics are redeemable, or that at least David's hope. I'm going the other way. Okay. I'm going this person, this this being is not from Earth uh, and came here and is basically like jacking with Earth for his own reasons. Maybe like some kind of... Uh, some kind of extraterrestrial social scientist. <laughs> That's what I'm going with. <laughs> in social science, we're always saying we can't do this experiment, and Calamity's like, dang it, I'm doing I'm this I'm doing experiment. it. Uh, <laughs> with the ants on Earth, right? Uh, yeah, extraterrestrial, so you're going with, with uh, from Earth. We'll see who's right. Uh, we'll reconvene in a couple weeks then for, uh, for Calamity. I'm looking forward to it. I'm probably just going to start reading it right now, but uh, it's hard because, uh, like I, re- I said, I read I, the first page and it's pretty awesome. Oh yeah. Like, I, I want, yeah. and what, what's that Jeff? If I may, I want to give one teaser for calamity for those who may be questioning whether or not they want to go and read it right now or not. The setting for calamity is the coolest of all three, in my opinion. It's, <laughs> and the things that they do with it, it's just really fun. And it's, it's the most interesting to me, and it was. I think you'll enjoy it just for the setting. All right, if nothing else. Oh, and I almost forgot to bring up the firefight ends with the huge question of how affected is David by his interaction with Calamity. Oh, oh, yeah, I did have one more point to bring up. Like, on that. I still don't know. Like, my question is, did he actually give up the power? Right, that's my like, or does is he or an epic is it, now? Is it still is it still with him and he was simply able to shove it down uh you know and not notice it because of his cuz he did uh, it early. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, he's probably not an epic, but who knows? Maybe he is. And I'm just throwing that out there so that I don't sound like an idiot in case he is uh, for the next podcast. Yeah, no idea. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, you guys. Um, and thank you to everybody who's listening. Uh, and we'll see you back in a few weeks for Calamity. Appreciate you guys reading along with us. Once again, uh, head to Facebook uh, or Twitter if you want to shout things at us. Uh, you can do the same thing at mz.com slash legendarium. You head over there. We're still in beta. Uh, we're about to uh, help MZ launch their mobile app. Uh, and so once that launches, we'll be able to do things on the go a little bit uh, more easily. Uh, but the reason I point you guys to MZ is because at some point... Uh, actually, I think you can do it now. You can not only join in the conversation there, but you can go there and help to support the Legendarium podcast. Uh, this is something I've been meaning to ask for a little while and just wanted to make a little pitch. I'll do a little bit better one in the future. But uh, we've been running on the Legendarium podcast for about two and a half years now. Had a ton of fun doing it. 91 episodes in, uh, and our listenership has grown quite a bit over the last little while. And so... I do want to keep doing the Legendarium podcast for a long time to come, uh, but it is a bit of a financial burden. Most of what we've done has come out of the pockets of myself and Ryan, who is not here today. Miss you, buddy. Uh, and so we would love any help that you can give us, even a dollar donation. You can go on to mz.com slash legendarium, and uh, they have a system on there called tipping. And if you tip the community, that will go toward uh, helping the podcast to grow uh we'll use it for uh you know new equipment we'll use it for uh hosting costs Uh, that's certainly not free uh we'll use it to grow the listenership of the podcast all sorts of uh stuff uh and so don't worry we're not trying to get rich off of this but at a certain point uh if we have to keep paying out our own pocket for this it just won't last forever because guess what i'm not very rich So anyway, we would love your help. Thank you for listening. uh, And thank you uh, in advance to any of you who decide to donate whatever you can. Uh, Go to mz.com slash legendarium there and make a one-time or recurring donation to the Legendarium podcast. Uh, All right, you guys. Have a good one. Nick, Jeff, thanks for coming on. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. See ya. See ya.